Hello and welcome to Agony Aunt and Uncle. If you're listening on podcast, you can also go over to our YouTube channel, The Sawala Adelies, and watch this on video if you would prefer, and vice versa, if you just want to listen to us and not look at us, go over to podcast. <laughs> and hopefully we're sounding a little bit more silky smooth because uh, we are using external microphones so that when you listen to this on podcast, simply, you know, orally, then um, hopefully it'll be a bit clearer than it normally is. In his own way, we're showing off about the fact he's got a new big microphone. <laughs> well, I've got two big microphones and <laughs> yes. I don't know what the hell to do he's with them. He's been so excited about them all day. Okay. Um, okay, so just... Every week, we will always make a point of saying this. We are not professionals. We are not in any way trained professionals. What we are are just two people, I think, that have been through a lot, that care a lot, are fascinated by the human condition, and are quite often, we are people that people in our lives come to for advice. So, yeah. we oh, try why? And, God only knows. <laughs> we just try and share our thoughts via our own experience, not through any medical or, or psychiatric, how would you describe it, Mark? We're not offering any medical or psychiatric yeah. advice yeah. or help. We are yeah. sharing our experiences and our thoughts about those elements in your problems that relate to us in some way. Yeah. So, And sometimes when problems come in and we think, no, we are not qualified to, to answer that, um, we will try and find a way to message you and suggest... A better place for you to, to reach out. If you hear the pitter patter of tiny feet, it is the pitter patter of tiny feet. It's Toffee. Yeah, our, our dog. dog. Okay, right. so what are we starting with? Okay, so first of all, Zoe. Um, and, I, and I'm really glad this one's been brought up actually, because as she says, she doesn't think we hear enough about this. And, and she wants um, a bit of advice around a toxic friendship. We talk a lot about toxic relationships, but I don't think enough about friendships. Mm. So she says, I've been friends with a girl since I was 22. I'm now 35. We went out partying a lot and she was a huge part of my life in the old days. She moved to London a year after I did. And I remember I wasn't thrilled about that. As I got older and stopped partying as much, I felt we didn't have much in common. And when we did hang out, I always felt drained afterwards. I've done a lot of growing as a person. and I've changed so much, but she is still the same person she was back then when I first met her. Over the past few years, she has given me a really hard time for changing and guilt tripped me into thinking I'm a bad person for it. Every time we meet up, things never feel comfortable as I always seem to be waiting for her to snap at me or have a go at me about something and this would happen regularly. When I was with my other friend or met new friends she wouldn't be happy and make me feel horrible about it always reminding me that no one can ever replace memories and the history we had together. She was never happy for my successes in fact she always came across jealous and constantly trying to compete with me. It got to the point I felt I couldn't share with her about my life, even my dating life. I felt she'd never had my best interests to, for me to meet someone. My family and all my friends uh, repeatedly told me uh, that she was toxic and I needed to get away from her, but I felt too guilty. I also felt trapped. Now, about two weeks ago, uh, I was out with her. I was dreading it because I hadn't seen her since November, but she wanted to spend some time with me on my birthday. The night was okay, and then suddenly, out of the blue, she snapped at me. 
This time, it was about my social media, and she thinks that I should ask her permission if I ever want to post something about my past. She continued to demolish my character and make me feel bad again for changing. I stood it for about half an hour, taking it, and then suddenly something inside me finally gave me the strength to walk out. I left home and went, went back in tears. Oh, on your birthday. But actually, they were tears of relief because I knew this was my freedom. I was finally walking away from this toxic friendship. I told my dad that I felt I was finally out of an abusive relationship because honestly, that's how it felt. I guess my question to you both is, is it okay to end a friendship that you've had for a long time? Is a toxic friendship just as bad as a romantic toxic relationship? Since that night, she has bombarded me with messages not taking accountability and seems blindsided by her behaviour and actions. I can't work out if she genuinely hasn't got a clue of her narcissistic behaviour or if she's just pretending. I've been left feeling awful about the whole thing and guilty, but I guess that's what she wants me to feel. I wanted to share this today to maybe normalise toxic friendships as I really don't think it's talked about enough. There seems to be so much pressure that we have to stay with friends if we've been with them, friends with them for a long time. And I think you're absolutely right on that, Zoe. There is so much pressure. Mm. And there's so much pressure in that we're all supposed to have friends going right back from our primary school. Never been a believer of it. So, Mark, why don't you go first as you were listening Well, it's funny you should just say what you just said about, you know, the idea that we're supposed to have friends that carry through. And I remember really beating myself up and feeling insufficient and feeling like I was a failure. Not only that I didn't carry through, carry friends through from primary school, secondary school, but also that I didn't really and I haven't really carried too many friends, perhaps one, uh, from university. And... I haven't picked up friends as I've gone through life. So my experience of toxicity in friendship, my quick answer to it is, yes, top, you know, I think it is okay, with lots of caveats, to, uh, in a sense, disentangle yourself and withdraw from a toxic friendship. I think there's a lot of societal and peer pressure to try and somehow maintain friendships But I think the fear that kicks in with people who do sort of end friendships or for whom friendships sort of run, run, run aground or, or perhaps that for one person in that friendship, the friendship really isn't working. I think there is an aspect of worry that other people may judge you uh, in some way, i.e. as a bit, I don't know, brutal, harsh. You know, I think it's, it's that situation where... Sometimes some people, and I, you know, I think sometimes this is applicable to you in certain situations, if someone's willing to put a boundary down, it's very easy for a lot of people to see that boundary as something that's kind of aggressive or harsh or um, unsympathetic, when in fact, you know, in many instances, and I can think of one for myself and one for you, You know, putting that boundary in is about self-survival and being able to sustain yourself and protect yourself and recognise where your limits lie. So I would say, you know, in answer to Zoe here, clearly this friendship was causing a lot of distress, a lot of upset. And it's that age-old sort of maxim, isn't it, where if more of the relationship is negative and stressful and unenjoyable than, than, you know, than the majority of it, then if the majority of it is, is negative, you, you need to consider stepping away. 
Mike, well, I, I believe, I just don't understand why a platonic toxic relationship should be endured any more than a sexual toxic relationship. Mm. And there does seem to be that sense that you should never give up on a friendship, no matter what, that you've got to try and reach, you know, a, a fair ground. And, and, uh, and I think we just have to turn that on its head. If somebody is consistently running you down, is consistently jealous for your improvements and your moving forward and your life outside of whatever theirs was, as, as you're explaining here, that, you know what, that doesn't sound very nice. Mm. It, you know, in the simplest terms, that doesn't sound much fun. So just in that sense, hmm, I'm not enjoying this. Mm. I'm never actually having a good time. Why would you continue to not have a good time? But on a more serious note, when you dig underneath that and you hear about, I mean, you ask there, why can she not see her narcissistic behavior? If, if she is indeed a narcissist, that's the very nature of it. You know, a narcissist will say, you know, when you do something wrong, it's your fault. When I do something wrong, it's also your fault. So you can't break through that wall. If she truly is a narcissist, that's a very, very complex situation to deal with. If she's just a selfish jealous or even very unhappy person then then that that's that's kind of different so how could this be how could if we look at it from a pov that you desperately wanted to make this work you could maybe reach out to her and i don't think you should do it face to face but maybe by text or by phone or something you don't want to go and meet for a drink and then do it because if drink gets involved mm. a whole load of other stuff gets involved but maybe you could say do you know what i really just do want to say you know ever since i've moved to london i i've just felt that we're just not connecting maybe maybe it's it's me you know you could start with that but i just feel like you're not really happy for my growth and my moving forward. Am I imagining that or, or is that, mm. you know, can you recognize any of that? You know, that's the way to talk if you want to talk, not saying you've made me feel, not saying you have done this to me because immediately people, somebody will get defensive. Um, so, so if you wanted to, but all I'm hearing, and I think, Mark, you're hearing the same is you don't want this friendship because... The fact that you walked away in tears and you felt free is hugely telling. You didn't walk away and cry because you were broken that you might not see her again or because you were so upset that you've hurt each other. I walked away with tears because I had this sense of freedom. I said to my dad, I feel like I've left the most toxic relationship. So what I'm hearing there, and I could be wrong, is that you need the validation that says, do you know what? When I read that, you know, if, if you were my daughter and my daughter came in with this story over years, I'd be saying, oh, bloody tough. I, I, I think if you've got to this point, you've got absolutely nothing to lose from saying, you know, something along the lines you've just said. I think also it's important to try and understand what's going on for this person. I think toxic friendships, and I've experienced them specifically around uh, me getting sober, and the toxicity of my friendships were, was such that 
at the point that I got sober, none of my friends were necessarily jealous because none of them thought that they had a drinking problem. But what they didn't want was me to... felt uncomfortable, I think. Well, they felt uncomfortable, but they also, in in many ways, they didn't want me to recover because if I recovered, I removed a benchmark in their lives that they always felt was far worse than them. They didn't need to face... Oh, I don't drink as much as Mark. They didn't need to face anything. So I can think of many instances where toxic friendships, I don't know if this is a specifically male thing, was about trying to nudge me over the edge, get me into trouble, push me further, Mm. urge me on. I mean, we're watching that in Love Island, aren't we? The idea that, you know, no one's actually there saying, you know what, I don't think you should do this. This isn't good for you. Mm. No one ever said that to me, Mm. ever. None of my male friendships ever, Mm. ever, ever said that. Um, So there's that. There's kind of wanting, actually wanting a friend to fail. So there's that sort of toxic relationship. There's also the one of ownership where a friend kind of wants to own everything about you and doesn't want to share you with anyone else and also wants to own almost your achievements. There's also then the friend who constantly wants to trump your achievements. I can think of someone who's not necessarily a friend but who's a distant relative who, for whom everything you say you're doing or you've gone through, they've done something better. Mm. And that's exhausting and that's mm. unrewarding. And you know, and then of course you've got jealousy, and then you've got people who you rightly say are, are so unhappy in their lives. I do think unhappiness breeds jealousy because mm. you're thinking, "I wish I could have that." And I don't always think that that feeling of "I wish I could have that" is born of a sort of necessarily evil, untoward, and horrible kind of instinct. I think it's a frustration. The person will be feeling it despite themselves. They wouldn't like it about themselves if they actually sort of faced it themselves. So there's that. And just finally, that you know, I can think of one relative, a distant relative again, who had the most intensely close friendship for many years. And then when she had children, a friendship of sorts carried on. But this friend not once ever referred to her kids at all because she was essentially jealous Mm. that the attention and the friendship had been diluted by, you know, the person I know having children. And I think, you know, one has to look at these things. The only other thing that I can suggest is you say to that friend, look, this is how I'm feeling. And see if you can broker some kind of unholy peace where you sort of say, I'm just going to see you in this situation with other people, mutual friends. Is there, is there some way of kind of cutting and sort of honing the friendship down to something? We often say it to the girls, don't we? Work out what you get from this person and whether you can just yeah. have that. Is, is this something that you still yeah. want? And if there is, what I would suggest is that you say to her, I'm picking up that this, because it's an old mm. friendship, is probably always a drinky thing. You know, could you say, you know, I just find that, like, now we, it just never works out for us when we're drinking. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, could we just meet for a walk in the park or yeah. go for lunch or something or a sober, you know, you could try something like that. If there is still something that you want from it, if you've really, and I'm hearing that there is nothing left, I could be wrong, I think it's really important that you finish it because otherwise these texts and this reaching out is going to leave you feeling anxious. So you could just be very succinct. You know, you could send her a text or call her or whatever. And you could say, listen, after the other night that I've, I think I've made my decision. Mm, mm. I just don't think we had a great friendship for many years, but I think we've outgrown each other. We've just changed so much. So I just think it's better that we leave it with the nice memories and just move on. Yeah. And then you finish it. You totally finish it. But I think a great line of advice there is also do try different circumstances in seeing your friend. I mean, this is not a positive one. I remember seeing a guy who, when I got sober, it was in about the first two or three months, I went for a meal with him. I didn't drink. He did. 
I felt it had gone all right. We were having a conversation. We were catching up. And then I got a text from him about a week later when I was suggesting we meet up again. He said it wasn't really like it used to be, was it? And that was, that was the beginning of the end. So in a sense, he, I suppose he was feeling there was a toxicity in my sobriety. And I felt there was a toxicity in his inability to sort of not sit and have a meeting with, with that drink. But in a nutshell... Nobody should ever feel guilty about ending a relationship that left them leaves them unhappier mm. than they were. You know that that is never good for you. So, a hundred percent, don't feel guilty. And don't forget, a narcissist. No one. Don't feel you're going to hurt a narcissist. No one is happier than a narcissist because nothing is ever their responsibility. I mean, truly, it's, it's funny. It's like there's someone else who I, I can think of who's, who's got psychopathic tendencies. And someone was saying something about, oh, God, I do worry about them. So the one person you don't need to worry about is them. They're quite <laughs> happy plowing around their life in the way that they are. Okay, so this uh, one is um, from Saskia. Um, this is, hi, Auntie Nads and Uncle Mark. Hello. Ah. Uh, I've been married for 25 years to a functioning alcoholic. Didn't see the red flags all those years ago because I also grew up with a father who was a functioning alcoholic too. I thought that that kind of drinking was normal. I did all the wrong things to try and get him to stop. Eventually I came to the end of myself and found Al-Anon. I have been in my own recovery for the past four years. I also sought the help of a clinical psychologist and a psychiatrist for trauma faced Mm -hmm. in childhood when my dad got violent with my mum and I've been diagnosed with ADHD and CPTSD. I'm coping well with the tools I've learned for emotional dysregulation, especially, and I'm on Elvance, which is working tremendously well for me. Three years ago, we separated, but he manipulated me to reconcile after just three months. He started drinking again shortly after that. He's in complete denial that there's a problem, even after admitting to hiding vodka and beer in the garage that he was secretly drinking. He drinks every day and for the past five years started drinking midday during workouts. I'm now at a point where I truly believe that nothing changes if nothing changes. I'm so emotionally neglected by him and feel starved of his attention. Alcohol always comes first. It's like the mistress I can't compete with. He's not violent or verbally abusive. However, I do feel so lonely in this marriage. It's Mm. impossible for us to have a meaningful, authentic and honest connection. I'm 51 today, been married to him for 25 years, and I'm now at a point where I'm drawing the line in the sand. I'll be announcing the separation next week after consulting with a lawyer about a separation agreement. Codependent fear has left me. I want more, and I'm not afraid to ask for it. I want to separate for a year. I'd very much like to know your thoughts on my situation and what you think of a year-long separation. We have three children, two young adults out of the house, and a 15-year-old son who is still at home. Wow. Wow. What a journey you've taken us on there. What an, what an incredible woman you are. And I would, say, that, I would say that, you know, obviously huge amounts of that are going to resonate for Nadia as the sort of al anona in this situation. And for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, I'm, in, I'm a recovering alcoholic who's now been sober for 18 years. Um, and um, al anon is for friends and family yeah. of, or loved ones of an, uh, an addict. And really it's about, it's a 12-step program, program like Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's about telling you that you are powerless over your partner or relative or whoever it is in your life that's an addict. Um, and that you are not responsible. And it seeks to kind of, you know, disentangle you in a sense from from the uh, behaviour of, of your loved one. I mean, it strikes me, Saskia, in your in your uh, note that you've made a great many uh, very good, very sort of uh, self-healing observations. You've already taken action. 
I genuinely think it's absolutely the right decision uh, in your instance to separate. I mean, I think at the point that I was hiding alcohol in the garden, at the point that, you know, I'd wake up with a Diet Coke can next to me, which when I sipped from it was all vodka, um, there was a part of me that knew it was over for me, my relationship with drink and, and whatever it was I was doing to myself. It did take Nadia to threaten to absolutely leave me, uh, cut me out. We just had a baby. and I know you've got three kids, two adults. That doesn't mean that the you know, functioning alcoholic of your partner won't have had a huge impact on the adult children. Um, and interestingly, years ago, we were working on a program idea which was called Separate to Stay Together. And I do think there's something in this. I think there is really something in the idea of you separating for a year. But I tell you something that you might need to do is not make him aware that it's for a year. Absolutely. Because I think otherwise because, he'll because paddle towards the end of that time. I, I didn't threaten. I said. Yes. I said it's over. I said and it's over unless you get sober. But it's definitely over. Have to leave the house straight away. You told your mum not to let you into the house. And you, within a couple of days, had had... had you know, booked yourself in to rehab. So that still is no guarantee because somebody can go to to rehab and come out and the day later be drinking, you know. So I just worry for you giving this year when you've given 25. Mm. Is it? I suppose I would just ask you to ask yourself this one question. It's the question I would ask myself if, if Mark were to start drinking again. Do I really mean it? And if I really mean it, that I've had enough and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, why am I giving another year? Mm. Because the, the devil that is addiction will play with those timings. Mm. I mean, you would say, Mark, well, what would you say? Because you're the perfect one to talk about that. There is nothing more cunning and... And I mean, when I say cunning... Yeah, what's I mean, that saying, that AA saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing more cunning and baffling than, than, a, than a, an alcoholic or an addict because... Because of their addiction, this doesn't necessarily mean this is the person. And, you know, there's a phrase also, you're not a bad person, you, are, you have a disease. Um, but what happens through panic, fear, shame, guilt, denial, is that uh, you cunningly will work your way mm. round to survive whatever obstacle is put in your way because you simply can't give up the alcohol. So I would go so far as to say I did stop for almost a year um, and it came back even worse. And well, this so, is before, you, before I'd given you yeah, the Yeah, yeah, before that. So I, I, had, I, I had, in a sense, white-knuckled my sobriety. Mm. And again, if you were to say that you're having a year's separation, what are his preconditions? Mm. What, are, what, what is he promising? What is he saying? What is his approach to his sobriety? If he was going into a 12-step program, if he mm. was seeking some kind of rehabilitation or some kind of psychiatric help, you know, there would be an argument for you to kind of be thinking, okay, well, maybe a year's separation... Is, uh, is potentially workable here as long as he commits to it. And there are two things about this which are, uh, I think are a fact but can be a heartbreaking fact. When I was in rehab, you know, a lot of people, like if you imagine it's the Grand National and you're all charging around the, the, you know, the course and the course is life and the getting over the hurdles is sobriety, a huge number of people didn't make it. And the weirdest thing about those people who didn't make it was on some level you could tell fundamentally... They didn't want to. Now, that sounds weird because that then suggests there's choice. And it's not as simple as that. 
But you have to be willing to work hard. You have to be willing to face some horrendous truths about yourself. And so going back to this idea that an alcoholic or an addict will sidle their way round all these obstacles, they'll get off the course and go round the hurdle and round the hurdle, round the hurdle. You know, I could have lasted that year, got back to you with no work on myself. And when I drank next, it could have been worse than that. It was worse than the time before. That's what happened to me. That's when I hit the absolute wall. My line on this is you do not say it's a year's separation. I mean... That would be my advice to a relative or a friend. That's what you, from the POV yeah. of an alcoholic, yeah. you you could see that potentially you would manipulate that. I would be trying to needed, work my way around yeah. that immediately. So, yeah. And of course, we don't know your husband. No. And maybe he would take that year and he would do something incredible mm. with it. But I, 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 I worry that for you, having been in the position of, of the partner of somebody that, that is drinking like that, is that you're still putting your life on pause. And it sounds to me, right from a child, you've been waiting in the wings while the alcoholics that have come into your life have selfishly and diligently continued with their desire to drink. Mm. And it just sounds to me like maybe it's your time to step out of the wings. Because everything that you say there is textbook on what any, mm. you know, we've had couples counselling, we've had individual therapy, rehab. I used to go into the Priory Weekly where we would have, you know, lot, lots of lots of great advice given to us. You've done everything now with that. You know, Al-Anon, you've done it, you're going through the divorce. And yet for me, the, the codependency that I still hear, or not the codependency, the need to rescue, the need to be there to still maybe catch him, is there in the line, do I separate for a year? Do I give it a year? Um, but of course, we don't know the intricacies no, of your of relationship. Course. So this is just literally from our individual experience of having me. to go if it, was if, it me. Me. if it was me, if it were me, I would be working my way so, around that year. And of yeah. course, it's complicated more by the fact that you also have a 15-year-old child. Yeah. You know, that contact, communication between yeah. partners. And obviously, we don't know what, what's mm. going on for you financially. Maybe you're taking that. But just if the one thing I would say to you, if you were sat here now at my kitchen table, is I would say... Just ask yourself really, really truthfully what that year is about. Because sometimes, it makes me feel emotional for you because I know how hard this will be, but sometimes it's the hope that can kill you. Mm. You know, it's the hope that does you in because you, you've still got that hope. And from the child, as the adult child of an alcoholic and then the wife of an alcoholic, that's a fuck of a lot you've had mm. to deal with. And maybe, also, maybe this is just your time. And also, it's a really important thing to say, and maybe, hopefully, you may have picked this up from Alanon. Um, you know, you will not be able to stop your partner from drinking. That won't be your. You won't be able to do that. He has to want to do that for himself. Well, or for or for the family. I mean, or you've for always the fam- said. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, was that's what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he has to want to do that for himself, for you, for your children. Um, if he doesn't, and if, you know, he's in such denial, that doesn't mean he can't come out of it, mm. but he has to kind of have Believe some kind of end. ultimatum. Mm. And, and, and again, I go back to, 
I would be already, not in a sort of cynical way, but in a survival way, because I'd think, how do I survive? I'd be working out my way around that year. Mm. Nothing would have worked with Mark. No. Unless I said it's a stover. Absolutely. Um, so, third and so good luck with that, yeah, honey. And our heart you. is really with you. We know from a deep, deep place some of what you're going yeah, yeah, through. Yeah. And um, mm. yeah, and except, of course, you had the added that I didn't have of, of growing up with an al- active alcoholic, high-functioning alcoholic, mm. which sometimes can be even worse because mm. nobody else knows about it and you're dealing with it all silently and quietly behind closed doors. Okay, um, I just wanted to just do this one because this 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 really broke my heart and I, I kind of wish I was a lawyer. Mm. And there's not an awful lot we can say, but we didn't feel like we couldn't read out this, this problem. I am court ordered to ring my abusive ex monthly to give updates on our child who isn't allowed contact who he isn't allowed contact with. He uses this time to try and control me and insult me. I try to stay amicable but amicable, but it's so triggering. How would you deal with this? First of all, I am in utter shock that a court can order you to talk to an ex abusive ex, but maybe you were in a situation where you didn't want to reveal that he was abusive. Maybe you've kept this secret, which often comes with abuse. So um I know court is very difficult. Obviously, the first thing one would think about is to try and go back to court. And, and and talk openly and say, I you know, I just can't do this. Um, you know, try and get some, I don't know whether you can afford to do that yourself or legal aid or get some advice from legal aid on how this can can come to an end. But if if you if that takes a long time and you struggle with that, I would suggest could you just text him the update? Or have you got a friend or a family member? Or could you ask a social worker to do that update for you? Because I think this is intolerable. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the simplest solution I would suggest, again, what, you know, what we try and do here is if this was affecting someone close to us or someone we knew, mm. my recommendation would absolutely be, is there someone in your life, a friend or family, uh, who can do all the communicating for you? You know, it could be, it can come from you. Because, of course, with a controlling person, there's going to be that thing of, you know, I don't want to hear it from you. I don't want to hear it from you. I want to hear it from, I've got to hear it from his mum or her mum. You know, you have the right to not engage with the Mm. person. You are incredibly generously allowing, given the nature of your kind of split up, obviously. I mean, it's a different situation if it's a kind of amicable or equal kind of split up. But given the nature of your, your separation and given the fact that he's been abusive, you're totally in your right to, you know, in a sense, hand it over to someone else. You'll get the information to him, but it will come through another source. Well, but she says she's court-ordered, so you're going to have to go find back, yeah, out yeah, yeah. where you stand with that, because that seems quite extraordinary to me. Well, I would check the court order mm. and make sure it's not... Is it saying that you have to personally update them or is it saying that the father is entitled to Mm. an update? And I think it it might be a nuanced difference, but it it could be a defining one in terms of making your life more bearable. I was wondering whether it might be worth you um, talking to a woman's refuge or a domestic violence, because don't forget controlling behaviour, abusive but is, is, is falls mm. under that umbrella. And talking to one of their helplines there, I think that would might be mm. a good idea, because mm. they might be able to help you, um, direct you 
to maybe some services that could get you out of this, I think, intolerable situation. But we just, like you say, we can't really help much with that, but we just wanted to put our arms around you and say that sounds really blooming tough. And I would just like to say as well, you know, it is a difficult one because, of course, I mean, you know, we saw it in a weird way in, in the series Happy Valley. You know, there's the difficulty of your child, you know, maintain, you know, some people might say, mm. just don't, don't, just don't do it. Just, just mm. seek a court order not to do it. But, you know, as a good mum, you're probably thinking, well, regardless of what the father's done to me, my child is going to want to have a relationship with this guy. And you will want to be seen in the best light possible in terms of not facilitating, but maintaining that, that communication. So the fact that you're willing to do it at all is a huge, huge, hugely astonishing thing. So well done. But I think... But it, should, it can't be you anymore. No, this isn't no, right. This no. is not there right. There must be a way to, to change yeah. that. I think I think find women's refuge line. We could maybe we could put some numbers up actually underneath here where you could ring them and they will really give you some support and good advice. I'll put some numbers underneath. Lots of love for now, everybody. Hmm. Oh, just wish helpful. we could give you a cup of tea as well because a tea really helps, doesn't it? While chewing the cud well, over a I don't problem. Know. I oh, a I don't know. A nice or a cappuccino or a something. A nice like that. cup of tea when you have a chat. But for now, thank you so much. And as I say, head over to YouTube if you're listening on a podcast. That's the Swala Adelies. We have a whole load of other content there. We do a daily uh, current affairs show with lots of hilarity, I have to say, uh, called Coffee Moaning. We do movie reviews, uh, trailer reactions, TV reviews. We've got our family reality show. We've got gardening show. Cookery. Cookery. We do it uh, live every Saturday at 10 a.m. Me and my sister and Mark do a show called The Curly Cooks of Croydon. So there's loads over there. And Head there's another there. podcast, How to Stay Married So Far. Yeah, check, check out, out our too. other podcasts, of course. See you in two weeks. Bye.